0: Good morning once again. We have a little bit of a different service sermon this morning. Uh, We are going to pause our book study through the book of Ephesians. Like I said before, um, Pastor Mel was planned to preach the beginning of Ephesians chapter 6, but we're going to pause Ephesians for a couple weeks and do a couple Christmas-themed services. This week, like I said, is going to be Christmas-ish. It's definitely going to be on the the vibe of Christmas, and next week we're going to do our gospel outreach service. And as you might notice, we're a little bit fuller today for a couple reasons. We have the food, of course. Um, But also, the children are staying with us. And so I ask for you guys to humor me today. Uh, This was kind of a last-second plan, just how God had it. And so for the children, I ask you to be patient. We do have some fun things uh, involved in our sermon today. And for the adults, I just ask that when we get to those fun things that you're patient during those things as well. So... Uh, I ask you to open your Bibles today to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're calling the title of our lesson today, The Great Condescension. The Great Condescension. And we're going to look at Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. We'll explain that title here in a little bit. Before I get into that, did you ever get humbled? Did you ever get humbled for some reason? I did. You did? Buddy, buddy and I are the only ones who have been humbled. I'm going to share a little bit of a tale. I think I've shared this before, probably a year or so ago. Some of you may have heard it, but it's some of you guys haven't, so that's good. Plus, I'll, I'll embellish. I'll add stuff. Um, when I was in my young 20s, I was working at Best Buy, selling TVs. And when you worked at Best Buy, places like that, they had an employee discount, which was great because you could get things on sale, you could get things discounted. So I was in the market for a couple computer speakers because back in the day, Laptop speakers weren't very good and so a lot of people would get speakers to go with that and so that's what I was looking for And I found a pretty good set and I decided to buy it with my employee discount It was a good set. It was going to be about 30 bucks, and I thought that was a pretty good purchase So I went up and I wrote a check anybody write checks anymore No, no one writes checks anymore, right maybe for like rent you guys write checks. Yeah, some people write checks Back in the day. That's that was the currency, right? You'd have your checkbook in a holster so I was I wrote a check for this and uh, no big deal. I was excited to bring my speakers home, and they sounded good. And I was really happy with that transaction. But I found out a day or so later that the check bounced. Yeah, anyone ever been there? Thank you. Okay, <laughs> me and Jeannie. We know what that's like. We ba- I bounced a check. And really, honestly, that wasn't a big deal either. I, you know, I got Once I got money, I put it back into my account. I was back in the black. But as a kid, you have to learn those things. Um, 21-year-old kid. Um, but... A couple weeks went by, and in the mail I got one of those like letters that looks like it's from the government. And anytime you get one of those things, yeah, that's bad news. That's not like, hey, you're doing a great job, we want to reward you. That's, you really messed up, buddy. <laughs> Remember this? So I opened this letter, and inside the letter they explained to me how that uh, check bouncing had become like too big of a thing, and they were kind of like cracking down on check bouncers, and that I had recently bounced a check. And because I had done that, and because they were coming up with this system... I guess I was going to be made an example out of. So in the letter it said that I was going to either have to pay a really big fine, which is silly because I bounced a check. People who bounce checks either don't have a lot of money or aren't good with their money. So that really wasn't going to be an option. I was going to pay this large fine. The other option was that I go to a check-bouncing seminar in Scranton on a Saturday all day long. I'm reading this letter kind of teary-eyed. I'm going, are you kidding me? I bounced one check and they're sending me to this seminar. And I'm like, well, I can't pay the fine. I have to go to this class. So <laughs> just wait, Joan. So I get to this class in Scranton, and you know, show you show up with one of those like s- those settings. It looks like where they have a night school, and they have those 25 chairs with like the desk hanging off it. It's made for like third graders, and you're cramming yourself into that thing. And so all these people come in, all these losers along with me, all these people. <laughs> All these people who bounce checks, and I'm like, "Hey, man, what's up? Glad to know you. See you tomorrow." Um, And so we're we're sitting down. I'm trying to sit in the back. I don't. I want to blend in. I don't want to stick out at all. And so, you know, the thing fills in. All these losers come in, and we're, we're we're happy. Actually, we're not happy at all. And the teacher, the leader, comes in, and you know, kind of starts this thing off. And they're like, "Listen, I know you'd probably be rather be doing a lot of things on your Saturday than this. So let's keep this fun. Let's keep this loose." So let's just go around and say our names. And just to make it fun, tell us approximately how many checks you think you bounced. Like, what? So they're going around. The first guy's like, Yeah, hi, I'm Chuck. I bounced like 85 checks or something like that. I don't know. I lost count. And uh, yeah, it's good. I'm glad to be back. So the next lady, she's like, Hi, I'm Trudy. And I, I don't know. I, I bounce one every week. And, you know, it goes to another lady. She's like, Yeah, I lost count. I, I bounced into the hundreds. And then it comes to me and I'm like, yeah, I'm Todd. I bounced one check. And they're all kind of looking at me going, nah, your first time. I envy you. And so they're going around, and you have this, like, four-hour session in the morning. It's brutal. And then they got like, break for lunch, and then they, like, give you, like, an hour for lunch. What are you supposed to do? I don't know anybody, so I have to, like, make a friend. (laughs) So I sit down with this elderly woman, and I'm talking to her, and I'm like, how are you doing? I'm Todd. Yeah, I work at Best Buy. She's like, hi, I'm Bernice, and, you know, I have six grandchildren. I bounce six checks a month. I'm like, oh, that's pretty sweet. (laughs) And, you know, back after lunch, back to the four-hour seminar in the afternoon, and and it was brutal. It was one of those humiliating things I've ever had to go through because I'm sitting there in check-bouncing class going, man, I don't ever want to do this again. If this is the result for bouncing a check, I never want to find myself here again. So four hours in the afternoon, and man, it felt like you were there in eternity. I mean, a long time. And it's one of those things you kind of like lose grip of reality. Like when it was over, you feel like you know everybody really well, and it's kind of like this teary send-off. And I'm like, I'm like Trudy, have a good life. Good knowing you. Hey, Bernice, say hi to your six grandchildren. I feel like I know them already. Chuck! Chuck, man, don't bounce any more checks, man. Work on bouncing the basketball, man. And, uh, you know, we say our goodbyes. teary Terry off I get in my car and I'm like, get a grip, man. It's check bouncing class. What are you doing? And uh, did you ever get humbled? I was humbled that day. and definitely something I don't want to repeat. But sometimes you get humbled, right, in life. Sometimes Life has to humble you for whatever reason. I don't know really what that lesson was about. But sometimes you humble yourself. And that's what we're going to look at today is someone who humbled himself. And I want to take your your eyes and go to Philippians chapter 2. And I want to read verses 1 to 11, a really special passage. And it is along the lines of Christmas, even though it's not what you would consider a classic Christmas passage. But I want to look at someone who didn't deserve to be humbled, who humbled himself. So follow along as I read. Listen to the word of God. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our text today. We're calling it the Great Condescension. We have three goals that we want to set before us today. These goals are really simple. These are the three goals we hope to get to. Number one is to be encouraged by the Great Condescension. To be inspired by the Great Condescension is number two, and to be, and number three is to obey the great condescension. Okay? To be encouraged, to be inspired, and to obey. And the word condescension may be throwing you off here a little bit. Maybe you're thinking of condescension, it's not that. Or actually, it is, I've been saying it wrong the whole time. It is condescension. What have I been saying? Condescension? <laughs> It's not, it's not the one that's water comes on your glass, you know, when you're drinking it or on a hot day. So say it, say it together. What is it? It's not condensation. Now, I can't say the right word. I shouldn't have even brought the tongue twister up because now I'm, I'm going to say it wrong the entire time. Condescension. It's good I have it before me. But I want, I want to define this word because it also may be this word you're thinking of where it sounds kind of like patronizing. Like when you talk down to someone and it sounds very disingenuous. That's not the word we're talking about today either. I want to define this word for us so we know what it means, okay? This is what condescension means. It means voluntary descent from one's rank or dignity in relations with an inferior. I'm going to say that again. A voluntary descent from one's rank or dignity in relations with an inferior. What we're going to look at today is a condescension of epic proportions, okay? Okay. And we're going to look at this in three different sections. Number one section is the specific calling and exhortation, verses 1 to 4. Section 2 is going to be the great condescension, verses 5 to 8. And section 3 is going to be the great exaltation, in verses 9 to 11. I want to read verses 1 to 4 and talk about the specific calling and exhortation we find. Listen to what Paul says once again. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Paul is calling a specific group of people to a very specific set of commands. And in order to look at the what he's telling us to do, I want to look at the who... He's talking to, and he mentions it there. I'm just going to reiterate what he says. This is the audience Paul is speaking to when he says what he says today. Number one, to those who have found encouragement from Jesus. Is that you? That's who he's speaking to. If you have found any encouragement from Jesus, Paul is speaking to you today. Number two, to those who have been comforted by his love. If you have been comforted by the love of Jesus, he's speaking to you today. Number three, to those who have participated in the ministering work of the Holy Spirit. If that is you, if you've had the Holy Spirit minister in your life, the Apostle Paul is speaking to you today. Number four, to those who have received any sort of affection and sympathy from God through Jesus, if that is you, he's speaking to you today. So that's the first question. Is that you? I want you to look inwardly today. Do you fall into that category of people? Because there's only two categories of people on the Earth. You hear that a lot, right? There's only two kinds of people on the earth, those who like Neil Diamond, those who don't. Um, but it's honest, there's only two categories of people on the earth, those who are in Christ and have Christ, and those who don't. And those who don't have Christ have a great need. Those who do not have Christ have a great need, and those who have Christ have a great salvation and therefore have a great job to do based on that salvation. So you either fall into one or one of, one of the two of those categories of people. And to those who don't have Christ, if that may be you today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, do you know of your great need today? Because we all have that great need. We all start with that great need. You see, we're about to explain how the Son of God came to earth to do something magnificent to save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came to this earth. And even though you may have heard this story before, around this time of year, we hear this story a lot. I need you to consider today with me why the Son of God, who created mankind, why would he come to earth to become a man and then die for mankind? Why would the Son of God do that? Why would Jesus do that? Can you accept the truth that God the Father would only send his son, Jesus, to the sin cursed earth to become man because the man, the need the man had was that great. Can you accept that? Can you accept that the only reason the Son of Man, the Son of God, would come to this earth is because man's need was so great? This plan that God came up with was the most magnificent and most costly plan anyone has ever come up with. God was going to sacrifice his only begotten son. And that word begotten that we find in John 3.16 is important. Because although if we're in Christ, we're sons and daughters of God, we are adopted, there's only one like Jesus. Isn't that true? There's only one who is of God, who is exactly like God. It says in Hebrews, he's the exact imprint of God's nature. He's the radiance of the glory of God. That's what it means that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. There is none other holy like Jesus. And if there was any other way to save mankind, God would not have sent his Son to the sin-cursed earth to die on a wooden cross. If there was any other way, if there was any other way God could have saved his people, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. But this was, I would guess, I would call God's plan, but because of the need, it's the last resort. See, if Jesus doesn't come, the need isn't met. And I want you to understand the logic of that statement, that Jesus would only come, that God the Father would only send his Son, if the need man had was that great. And it was. You see, Jesus only came to this earth because man was doomed Forever, unless he did. That's how great the need was. Unless Jesus comes to this earth, mankind is doomed forever. See, our our need is enormous. It's enormous. Every single one of us has this need. Sinners are destined for destruction unless they are saved. And who's a sinner? Well, everyone's a sinner. According to the word of God, if you listen to God's word, every single person is a sinner, and every single person has this great need. And so to the first category of people, have you found the Savior? Have you found the Savior? Because I will say confidently, if you haven't, you're in great need of that Savior. Just like I am, just like everyone else in this room is, in great need of that Savior. So to those who may not have Jesus Christ, can you consider your great need? That Jesus would step off his throne and come to this earth and die on a wooden cross because there was no other way for you to be saved. For those who do have Christ, do you know of your great job that you've been called to based on the salvation that you have received? You see, Jesus didn't just come to save us, to unlock us from our chains, and tell us to go any way we wanted to. No. He came to show us the proper way to heaven, See, every single one of us was going the wrong way. Did you know that? By nature, by birth, every single one of us was going the wrong direction. We were all serving and loving ourselves above others and thinking that was right. That's the way of the world. They serve themselves above others, and they honestly think that's the right direction. So God looked down and he told Jesus that unless Jesus showed us the proper way to go, we would all end up in hell. Because we were all going the wrong direction. And we're going to illustrate that here in a little bit. But what Paul is about to explain to us is the calling that every single Christian has now received now that they're saved. You see, if you're not saved, you need to find the Savior. You need to find this great salvation before you can go that way. There is a horse before the carriage. Unless you're saved, unless you found the Savior, you can't go the right way. Jesus is the only one who can turn you around. But if you are saved, if you have already been saved, you not only can go this way, but you must go this way. You must, because there is no other way to the kingdom of God but following Jesus. You know that, right? There is no other way to the kingdom of God except lining right behind Jesus and going exactly as he went and exactly as he taught you to go. That is the way to the kingdom of God. Jesus is the only one with the directions. So Paul tells tells the Christians to complete his joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. And I think, in other words, is what he's saying is he wants all Christians to be unified. To be unified, to think the same way, to go the same direction, to have the same goal. And by doing so, Paul's joy will be completed. I'm guessing Paul's joy was already pretty high based on his own hope, based on his own security in Christ. But he wasn't satisfied with just Paul himself having that hope why because Paul followed Jesus Paul wasn't just satisfied with him being okay he wanted all Christians that he knew and loved to have the same hope that he had to go the same way that he was going to have the same joy to have the same security and in order to have the joy and hope that Paul had we have to live the way Paul lived because Paul lived the way that Jesus lived and Jesus taught us the right way to go he taught Paul the right way to go And Jesus is the only one who knows the right way. Listen to the directions he gives us in verses 3 to 4. Because this is the proper way that every single person is supposed to go. Listen to what he says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We use GPS units, right, in our car. Some of us still use maps. Either way, these are the directions that Jesus is telling us to go. If you are saved, if you have a relationship with Christ, this is the right way. To do the way Jesus taught us to serve others, to consider the needs of others above our own. See, we're never, and I need to stress that word, never supposed to chase our own selfish ambitions. As Christians, the bar is high. We used to live that way, and that was the wrong direction. We used to think that was right. I'm going to chase my own ambitions, and Paul's saying that's the wrong way. That's wrong. We are never supposed to be conceited. We used to live that way, and that was the wrong direction. We are never to look out only for our own interests. We used to live that way, and that was the wrong direction. I'm gonna illustrate this now, okay? I told you to bear with me during these illustrations, but this is for the children now. Okay? I would like all the children who want to, not forcing anybody, but all the children who want to, I'd like you to get up and just simply walk into the kitchen. How about that? Can all the children get up and walk into the kitchen? Alright, thanks. Every child who wants to, get up and walk into the kitchen. Wait, 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 I got candy back here. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Do you you notice what's going on here? Okay. (laughs) Dance the devil. I just turned... Okay, now, to those who may not be here, here's what's going on. I just commanded that the children go into the kitchen, and I see, which is funny, I see four at least, three of my own... Which tells you what an in, what influence I have. is nothing. Dan said, hey, kids, I have candy. Come over here. And most of the children did. Most of the children followed Dan instead. The ironic part, kids, is that the good candy is in the kitchen. You see what I did there? You see what I did there? Do you find the illustration? Yes. Kids, now if you will listen to me, I'm going to tell you straight away that good candy is in the kitchen. If you want a piece of candy that isn't a brick, that isn't a doorstopper, Go into the kitchen, and you can get a a special uh, Christmas-themed candy cane from Miss Amy. So Titus and Levi, Titus and Levi, I'm your father. Follow Miss Amy into the kitchen and go get a candy cane, okay? And watch out for people. Okay. That's our first illustration. You obviously can tell that was planned, right? Dan is not the devil. Dan Dan was was planted there to do that very thing because you notice what happened, right? I gave instruction. And the children, once they realized that candy was the other way, what did they do? They turned around, (laughs) and they went, because that's what kids do. In fact, that's probably what adults would do. In fact, that's what we all do. God gave us instruction, and, and he's giving us instruction today. If we haven't heard that instruction before, he's giving us that instruction once again, saying, this is the right way to go. I'm telling you, this is the way to the kingdom of God. But most of us, all of us, by nature, we turned around and we chased after the world's candy. The world and the devil said to us, come on over here, I have, I have good stuff for you. And we all went the wrong direction. You see, God hates selfishness. Did you know that? God hates it. He hates selfishness because although the world thinks, the world thinks highly of this lifestyle, God hates it. Because selfishness is everything God is not. God is love, not selfishness. Man is selfish by nature. But God is love. When we were living selfishly, we were living against God and against God's will. But Paul tells the Christians that that sort of selfish lifestyle needs to go away forever because it's not from God. And instead of selfishness and pride, we are supposed to be humble to consider the needs of others more significant than our own. I want you to consider your past week. Does that define your week? Considering the needs of others more significant than your own. Because that is the right direction. Now, it's true. We can't go that direction without Jesus. None of us. None of us would even think of that on our own. None of us would want that on our own. And Jesus is the only one who can cause that in the soul to be something we desire. And he can only give us that faith to turn around. But now that we're hearing the right direction, we have a choice to make. To continue to go the wrong way, if we are. Or to continue to go the right way, if we are. If not, turn around and start going the right way. See... It may sound hard and countercultural to put the needs of others above our own, and that's the problem. That right there is the problem, because our culture is broken. Our culture is broken. Our culture is wrong. Jesus came to show us the right way to go. See, pride is worldly, and humility is godly. Selfishness is worldly. Love is godly. And so Paul wants all Christians to think the same way, to have the same goal. And that goal is love. Do you see why this is a Christmas message? It's this time of year that we are most sensitive to the needs of others. I don't know why, but that's a good thing. That's a good thing that we're now thinking of others more than we typically do. But it's also maybe a bad thing because it takes this kind of thing for us to consider the needs of others. Whereas Paul and Jesus is saying to us once again, that's what you should always do. That's how you should always live. Do you remember at the end of Christmas Carol, a movie I bring up all the time? Remember what Scrooge says at the end, or the narrator says about Scrooge, is that he tried to keep the spirit of Christmas all year long? Do you remember that? And although that's not a biblical movie, I think that message is found in Scripture. The needs of others needs to be ringing in our mind and ears and hearts all year long. Because that's the right way to go. Paul tells us to not look out only for our own interests, but also the interests of others. You see this looking out for number one mantra that the world uses and propagates? It's devilish. It's devilish. Looking out for number one is nowhere found in Scripture. It doesn't mean there's no time for yourself. It doesn't mean there's no time to love yourself. But God told us to look out for the needs of others above our own. I want you to consider that. Above our own, which means we come secondary or maybe third. Jesus, others, and then ourselves. We're called to help each other. We're called to help each other. Why? Why? Here it is once again. Because as we learned, when we were in great need, what did the Lord do? God helped us. And he helped us at such a cost to himself. The sacrifice of his only begotten son. When we were in need, Jesus helped us at such a cost to himself, his own blood, his own dignity, his own royalty, his own riches. And that's what we're going to look at number two, is the great condescension. In verses 5 to 9, listen to what Paul says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have we become numb to this? Have we become numb to this message? Paul is seeking to encourage and inspire us to live for love based on what Jesus did for us. Paul says simply, think the way your Lord Jesus thinks. Have this mind which was yours in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus was in the form of God. He wasn't a man at one time. Did you know that? Jesus had to become a man. Jesus was in the form of God. Jesus was a spirit being like our God is a spirit being. He's not physical. Jesus had to become a man. Jesus is the son of God. I want you to consider that. Consider how royal Jesus was. Consider how rich Jesus was. Consider how royal and rich your Lord Jesus was as God's only begotten Son. Can you consider his royalty? Can you consider his worth? Can you consider what it was to be the only begotten Son of God in heaven? Imagine what privileges and rights Jesus had being God's Son. He was lofty. He was rich beyond our estimation. He was powerful. He was praised. He was beloved. He was cherished. He was royal. He was adored. He was in a perfect setting with nothing held back from him. No one knew wealth, pomp, and riches like our Jesus did. No one. But Paul tells us something truly shocking. Jesus left it all. He left it all. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be held on to. Why? Why not? Why did Jesus consider equality with God a thing to be let go of? Why? We've said it already, but I'll state it again. Because mankind had a need, and that need was so great. And unless mankind found salvation from their sins and found a restored relationship with God, they were all, we were all, going to be destroyed because of our sinfulness, because of our brokenness, because of our rebellion against God. So instead of staying rich, instead of staying powerful, instead of staying praised, adored and exalted, Jesus emptied himself. What do you to consider with that phrase emptied himself? If Jesus riches were a big glass of water, which I'm going to illustrate here in a minute. Paul wants us to imagine Jesus turning the glass upside down and dumping all the water out of it. So if this is Jesus, bear with me. These illustrations are going to fail because it's representing the Lord. But if this Lord, if this was his riches and his royalty and his worth and his power in heaven, this is what Jesus did. He emptied it. Jesus emptied himself of everything that it meant to be the Son of God. He emptied himself. He took the cup of all his godship, he turned it upside down, and he emptied it entirely. Why would he do this? Because Jesus wanted to save man, and in order to do so, Jesus had to become man in order to save man. I talked about that story at the beginning where it was incredibly humiliating for me to go to check bouncing class What kind of humiliation is it for the Son of God in heaven to become his own creation, to serve that creation, and to die for that creation? See, in order to become man, Jesus had to leave everything he had in heaven. Have we become numb to that? What Jesus had to leave? What Jesus had to give up? See, the way the Son of God practically empties himself is by becoming a servant of his very creation. So that's what Jesus did. He became man. But he didn't just step onto earth. I want you to think about this. Jesus didn't just step onto earth and become a rich, powerful king on earth. Because even that would be humbling, wouldn't it? For Jesus to take a much lesser kingdom than he actually deserved, that alone would be humbling. If Jesus was just the richest, most powerful king on earth, that would have been humbling. But you see, Jesus went well beyond this. He came as an infant into a woman that he created. He was raised by earthly parents that he created. He was trained by spiritual leaders that he created. He healed the ailments of people he created. He miraculously fed people that he created, and he washed the feet of the disciples that he created. Jesus served mankind when literally it should have been the other way around. Do you see the great condescension? Not only did Jesus serve man, but he was made like man. It had to become obedient to God as a man. That's another layer. This is significant, not because Jesus had to obey the will of God, because Jesus, as the only begotten Son of God, always obeyed the will of God. But when Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself of all his power that he relied on in order to be obedient to God. And now he had weaknesses. Now Jesus was like man. He was tempted like man. He was rejected. He was hated. He was lonely. He was forgotten about. In heaven, Jesus never had to face that sort of opposition when seeking to obey God. So not only did he have to obey God perfectly as a man, but his calling was higher than any man ever was or ever has been. He had to die according to God's plan, and he had to stay obedient through that entire process of being rejected, of being beaten, of being mocked. Jesus had to stay obedient to God through that entire process. You're getting a glimpse of it, right? Not only did Jesus have to die, but he had to die the most humiliating and brutal death man could ever conceive, which was being crucified. You see, crucifixion, I don't want to get too graphic here, but it was supposed to be humiliating. It was supposed to be long, torturous, and brutal. So Jesus didn't just get beheaded and hanged and it was over, quick and done. No. He hung there on a cross for hours. It was supposed to be days. It was supposed to be a long, long process. But it was the most humiliating, brutal, torturous way to die, and Jesus had to stay obedient to God through that entire process. This is the great condescension because this amount of humiliate, humility that Jesus took for us Is off the charts. It's off the charts. He voluntarily descended from his rank as son of the Most High God in order to save his people who are so inferior to him in every way. And he did all of this because he put the needs of others above his own. Now it's starting to make sense, isn't it? Why we're called to that? You see, no story compares to this one. There's no parallel. There's no story that can match this. The good giving up all his power and riches to die for the bad. Have you ever heard of that before? Does any story tell you that besides this story? Because that's what happened. And you and I have the chance at complete salvation and complete forgiveness before God because Jesus left heaven. And came to die for us. He came to die for you. That's why you have a chance at salvation. That's why you can find complete forgiveness. Because Jesus left it all. Because Jesus emptied himself. Section 3, which we'll move pretty quickly through, is the great exaltation. Verses 9 to 11. Listen to what it says in verses 9 to 11. Therefore, based on everything we've talked about, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus was obedient to God's plan to condescend, to empty himself, to become a servant and to die for mankind on the cross. God rewarded Jesus for this. The condescension of Jesus was greater than our ability to understand it. Or appreciate it. And so is the reward that he received from God. See, God saw fit to reward his son with the highest title imaginable. (laughs) See, we know Jesus as Jesus. We've always known him as that. But this name is truly holy. It's truly holy. God set Jesus, the name, apart from every other name because it's incredibly profound. To God and in heaven, the name Jesus means King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. Think of every king that ever existed upon the earth, the great ones, the powerful ones. Jesus is their king. He's the king of kings. The name is so special and so holy that one day, according to the text, it will cause every single creation, creature, that ever existed to bow to Jesus and give him the homage and the worship that he deserves. Every knee will bow. In heaven, Every knee will bow on earth, and even in the depths of hell, every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is king, because that's what that name represents. And then one of the options. God has declared it, that every creature will bow to one knee and will confess one day, when it's God's timing, that Jesus Christ is king and Lord. That was the gift that God gave his, his son, for the great condescension that he endured. And this worship of Jesus will bring a tremendous amount of glory to God the Father. I have another illustration here. I need one child to come on up. Uh, Let's see here. Yeah, yeah, come on up. I don't know if we can see this. Let's do it over here where most people can see this, okay? I expected this to kind of be in a box or something like that, but we're going to have to work with it. See, Jesus condescended. When he went, condescended, he went down. Okay, he went down to the depths as low as he could go. He was serving man. He was buried in the tombs of the earth. And so he was low. He came down and he humbled himself and he died. And he gave up everything. And he was low. But we know that's not where Jesus stayed, is it? What happened with Jesus? Are you able to use scissors without hurting yourself? Can you do me a favor? Take these scissors and cut that cut that line. <laughs> what goes down must go up. It's that simple. Jesus went up. He didn't go up because that's what naturally happens. He went up because that's what God rewarded him with. And when he went up, he went all the way up to the highest position imaginable at the right hand of the Father where myriads and myriads of angels are praising him right now in heavenly beings. And one day, every single knee will bow. Every tongue will confess the praise and the homage of Jesus. God's plan was to save his people and for Jesus to be the agent of salvation, for Jesus to die and for Jesus to resurrect from the dead and then for Jesus to be exalted for all of eternity. And that's exactly what happened because God's plans happen, right? If God sets something up as his plan, does anything thwart it? No. God's plan was for Jesus to condescend and then Jesus to be exalted. And Jesus is now experiencing the great exaltation and his glory and praise and worship will never end. Those are our three sections. Section number one is the specific calling and exhortation. Specific, excuse me, section number two is the great condescension. Section number three is the great exaltation. And now we circle back to us, because that's how we started, and that's where we end. We circle back to us. Paul uses all of this to encourage and inspire all Christians to think And act the same way as Jesus. Just as Jesus did, you do also. He wants us to empty ourselves. He wants us to serve others. He wants us to humble ourselves. And he wants us to consider the needs of others greater than our own. You see, if we truly understand and appreciate the humility and the emptying that Jesus undertook, then our own emptying and humility won't seem that hard. I want you to imagine if every single one of us had to empty our bank accounts because there was a great need. And let's say it's some disease or some nation is trying to attack us. And for whatever reason, humor me, we have to collect as much money as we possibly can. And in order for, for us to do that, we all have to empty our bank accounts completely. Everything. Savings, checking, everything. So we had to go and take the few hundred or maybe thousand, or maybe even tens of thousand, if some of us are really well off, with our money and completely empty it in order to meet this great need. Wouldn't that be difficult? Isn't it true that it might be more difficult for others than some? Some of us who have like $28 in our account. Whatever. For some who have very little in their bank accounts, that emptying wouldn't feel that hard. Take my money. But for some of us who may have tens of thousands of dollars, that emptying might be very, very difficult. Isn't that true? The more you have, the harder it is to empty yourself. True? Here's an illustration of that. What if Jeff Bezos, who knows who Jeff Bezos is? Am I saying that name right, by the way? Who is Jeff Bezos? Okay, the founder, the CEO of Amazon.com. You think he's rich? Is Amazon doing well? Anyone shop only from Amazon for everything, everything, everything? Um, Jeff Bezos, he's the founder of Amazon.com he's currently, I looked it up, he's currently worth 108.7 billion dollars do you think it would be hard for Jeff Bezos to empty his account do you think it would be harder for him than me than you do you think he'd struggle with that if we use that analogy Jesus is the son of God I want you to imagine the amount of riches, power, and royal treatment Jesus had to give up in order to help us. Do you think that was difficult? Do you think it was harder than Jeff Bezos giving up all his money? Paul asks us to empty ourselves and he uses Jesus emptying to encourage and inspire us to do that very thing. It might be difficult for you to give up your time, your money, your energy in order to meet the needs of those around you. But let's be honest here. It's not even in the same stratosphere as what Jesus had to give up. Right? Is it hard? It's difficult to give up everything. It's difficult to put the needs of others above your own. But it's not even close to what Jesus did. Not even close. I want to illustrate this one more time. I need another child. Probably wondering, what is this strange communion we got today? Uh, who wants to come on Haddon come on buddy I gotta have one of my own do this okay Haddon this is gonna be very delicate work now I want you to notice something there's two very different sized containers up here okay we got a little communion juice and we got some cloudy water here in a big old pitcher okay Haddon we're gonna do two things okay I want you to empty this into that bowl okay and notice how long this takes wow good job you made it Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do this one, but you can help, okay? okay? Humor me once again. If this was the difference between us emptying ourselves and the son of God in emptying himself. Let's do this one kind of slowly, okay? Okay. Thank you, I think you understand the illustration it's really simple that's a poor illustration that's not even close to what it actually is okay us emptying ourselves is like a communion cup compared to jesus which is a container we can't even consider and he gave it all up and the reason jesus emptied himself was so that you and i might have a relationship with god once again and not have to follow our sins unto eternal destruction. Do you see how great the need was? Jesus met our need with his precious body and blood. Jesus became empty so you and I could become full. And because he did this, God filled Jesus' cup fuller than it even was before. Because that's how God works. If he asks us to empty ourselves, that's not the end of the story. We don't end empty, right? That's not the period. Empty yourself and live a poor, wretched life for the rest of eternity. No. Empty yourself now on earth, and one day God will fill you beyond your possible ability to comprehend it. And you will be full. You will be exalted forever, similar to Jesus. Our application very quickly. Number one is, are you encouraged by the great condescension of Jesus? If you haven't turned to Jesus by faith, that's your one step today. You need to do that first. You need to see what great need you must have if it took the Son of God to get off his throne and come to earth to die on a cross. Do you consider how big your need must have been if that's what it demanded? And if you neglect the Son of God and his sacrifice, can you consider that there is no other way then? There is no other hope. If you neglect, the great salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your sins are your own forever. And your sins and my sins are higher than we can count. Our debt to God is higher than we can imagine. Our sinfulness is so sinful to God that it will warrant eternal hell if we don't find the Savior. And it's not clouded today, okay? It's not mysterious today. Jesus is that Savior. And he tells us to do a couple things. If you believe, if you want that salvation, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, remember how we started this? Remember how you were going the wrong way, all of us, myself included? He says, turn around, repent. Turn away from your sinful, worldly, ungodly lifestyle, selfishness, turn around and embrace Jesus by faith and start to follow him. It's simple because he wants even children to understand. Guys, children, it's that easy. Turn away from the lifestyle that is selfish and turn to Jesus and follow Jesus and a lifestyle that is selfless. Others seeking, God seeking. Have you turned to Jesus yet? Have you turned to Him? Have you left your sin and your selfishness behind? Number two, are you inspired by the great condescension of Jesus? You see Jesus emptying Himself entirely in order that you and I might be helped. Jesus gave us salvation and he came to show us the way to the kingdom of God. And the way is the same way that Jesus went. And that way is this, put the needs of others before your own. And like we said before, doesn't Christmas highlight this? Isn't that to some degree what we're doing here in this season? Thinking of others, considering the needs of others, right? Isn't the world even hinting and getting close to that? Thinking of others, Are you inspired by the great love of Jesus for you? And are you ready to do something about that? Because that's number three. Will you obey the great condescension of Jesus? You see, we can't just be encouraged. We can't just be inspired. That's not enough. We also must have the same mind and go the same way our Jesus went. When Jesus loved us, it demanded the ultimate emptying of himself. If you and I are willing to obey Jesus, it might require an emptying, seriously, of everything. It might. If God demands it, that you and I empty ourselves, then that's God's will. And it might require that. But I want to reiterate, it's not even close to what Jesus gave up for our sake when we were in need. Will you obey the calling from God and humble yourself today? Will you humble yourself? Like Jesus did. Will you consider the needs of others above your own? To consider means to think, to do some mind homework, to pray about, to look around, to see the needs, the the hurting ones around you, to not neglect them, to not say, I'm too busy, it's Christmas, I I don't have time, I don't have money. Yes, you do. That's primary. This is number one, because this is following Jesus. Jesus. Your Lord Jesus did this for us and now he's asking and commanding us to do it as well. And So the question is this. What is going to be your response to the great condescension of our Lord Jesus Christ? Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father and dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this message. This message is yours. It is not mine. It is something you wanted us to know. It is something you wanted us to be encouraged by so we can find life it's something you want us to be inspired by so we could do what you've called us to do, which is go the same way our Jesus went. I pray for every soul in this room, Father, whether they're in or out of look to Jesus today and consider the need that we have, the need that he met, and the path that he put us on. And consider what it means to follow Jesus on that path and where that path will take us to eternal glory, to eternal exaltation, with you forever. I thank you and we give you all glory for this today. And I want to pray for the food as we're about to enjoy it. We give you all glory for that as well. Thank you for gathering us here today. Just hope it be a time of togetherness, a time of refreshment, and a time of thinking of others above our own. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.